In this episode, I speak with Chad Verity, CEO of Whole Metrics. We chat about how to identify and prevent burnout in the workplace, how technology can improve the well-being of employees, why caring for your employees is always good for business, his story behind how he experienced burnout, and ultimately how Whole Metrics helps assess employee burnout. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. Chad, thanks a lot for joining me. Hey, thank you so much for having me. You have a, a bit of experience with burnout, and uh, I thought that uh, I'd pick your brain here a little bit. Yeah, so whatever's left of it, you can go ahead and pick over. <laughs> okay, so uh, could you share with us what you what you experience? I know a lot of people are experiencing burnout now, um, but you were experiencing burnout quite a while ago. Uh, can you share that story? What you went through? What your experience was? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it. Uh, we do. Like, I think some of the background is important to understand how I got to that place. Um, even from like, when I was 13 years old, um, I was I was really blessed with a lot of mentors, like a lot of um, mentors, most you know, male uh, role models in my life who who were very um, who supported me, who built into my life. And by that, by you know, grade seven, grade eight, that's what I wanted to do with, with my life was, uh, be that role model, be that person in someone else's life who could just be there for them when they needed them most in those teenage years. And so, you know, I went to college, became a youth worker, uh, worked for a number of different nonprofits. Um, and, and part of, part of that burnout journey has to include the fact that I really thought I was, you know, God's gift to youth work, right? Like I, I thought, I, I was going to be awesome at this. I've been wanting to do it since I was 13. And so that drive and that strive build, builds into that story. And it, it has to, because I was trying to find my identity of being in being good at something. And, and that, that has to be a part of that. And so by the time, you know, I was working at a public high school building extracurricular programs for students, and we were traveling to, you know, driving kids from central Alberta to Mexico to build houses, building programs from scratch. Um, and, and, you know, by the time April would roll around, I and burnout to me and how I experienced that was really just like, I could not, like there was nothing in the tank anymore. Like nothing. Um, it wasn't quite depression, although like I've struggled with like depression became a part of it. Um, but it, it was just like, there was nothing in the tank. You're a staple to the carpet and you, you couldn't get up. Um, and so I was, uh, and, and, and then it became annual it became a cycle right so april uh, you know we'd get back from a mexico trip we'd have tons of kids who want to you know we're trying to get them into programs and get a sense of what the next school year is going to look like and definitely by may i was done i really had no energy to get back in and finish out even the school year and then it, I, it would be until september where until i had enough you know energy to get back and do it all over again and then it'd be cyclical and so sitting in a psychologist's office, I just, I looked down on my phone and I'm like, man, if you could look closely enough at my life, could you see this coming? Could you predict this was going to happen? And that, that was really the question that started, uh, you know, the journey that we've been on for the last number of years. In hindsight. So looking back at that, it, do you think there's anything that you could have done in order to address or prevent the burnout and possibly even still be a youth worker today? 
Uh, and that was certainly part of the frustration is like looking around and seeing my friends and my colleagues who did it well, who've done it well for decades um, who and, and don't really not, I'm not going to say they don't struggle with burnout, but they certainly were sustainable in what they were doing. And so that sustainability piece was just missing for me entirely. I think looking back on it, it was like just being able to, my, my identity being wrapped up in it was a huge part because it was really striving and really, um, you know, when, when kids didn't, didn't respond or get engaged, get involved or, um, that I took that really personally. Right. And, and, you know, when, um, when we didn't see the results that we, we thought we would, that definitely affected me. And so then, then the striving continues and the work hours increase and the, and you're just, you're emptying the tank and nothing's going back into it. And I, we had, um, uh, one of, one of the coaches that was involved in our first incubator that we ever participated in once said like work, work should give more life than it takes. Your work should give you more life than it takes. And that was really a mind blowing sentence, like phrase for me. It's like, what does that even mean? Like, like, like work has taken more life from me than, than it's given me for sure. Um, and so for me, that was okay. Taking a step back and being like, okay, when I was 13, I made a decision. This is what I wanted to be. And I never really stepped off the gas from that, that to say, okay, what, who, who am I? What am I good at? What, what am I gifted at? Um, what do I enjoy doing? It's like, I've been pursuing a career. I didn't actually enjoy all that much. Um, and so, and that, I think that's where like in, in Alberta, um, Alberta treasury branch, as is really as a marketing campaign geared around entrepreneurship and you have these commercials of, you know, like quitting the nine to five as a financial advisor to go start a microbrewery. And you get, you get energized by those commercials because it's like, okay, you left something that you, you, you know, you, you maybe were qualified and good at, but you certainly didn't take life from that. And it's like, yeah, I'm taking a huge risk in starting a microbrewery, but this gives me life. And there is power in that there, there is power in that. And so a part of the, journey that we've been on with whole metrics has been, what am I good at? What do I want to do? What do I, what do I want to pour into? What do I believe that I can, I can do? Um, and not even look for permission from a supervisor or, or an employer to give me, right? So entrepreneurship for me was a part of that. And just to say, I'm going to, I'm going to blaze a trail <laughs> as scary as that is. I'm going to do this. I, I want, and um, I'm going to explore really, I'm going to explore what I'm good at. Um, without, without any parameters placed around that. So, um, that was, that was big for me as far as like, could I be a youth worker today? I think I'd be a better one today than I was 10 years ago. Um, simply because I, I do feel like I can let go of that, let go of caring whether or not kids respond a certain way, whether, whether teens, and it's even ludicrous to, to say out loud, but it's, <laughs> you can't predict what a teenager is going to do. And there's nothing you can do to, there's very little you can do other than be there for them. Right. And, uh, and as a, now as a father of three, it's like, yeah, really the most important thing you can do for a kid is just sit there and listen to them. And anybody can do that. And I can do that. And there's no pressure there. It's not about what they do about that and, and how they respond to your programs. It's really about listening and hearing them and, and just being, being there for them. Um, and so I, I think I would be better at it today than I was 10 years ago, 
not sure I want to, not sure that I, I want to go back into that world. But. Yeah, that's helpful context. But you, one thing you mentioned in there is that you, you went to go see a psychologist in order to navigate your way through this. Um, so two questions out of that. One is, how did you know it was time? And, and, and obviously there's a lot of stigma around seeing a psychologist. And we're talking about a while ago on top of that, you said some, something around the lines, along the lines of like 10 years ago. So how did you get it past that stigma to say, Hey, you know what? I think it's time I go see a psychologist. And two, how did you get out of it? Like, how did you navigate your way out of the burnout and make that next step or that change in your life? Yeah. I, how did I know? How did I get past the stigma? Uh, probably out of desperation. It was like, something's got to change here. Something has to. Um, and I, I think that is, that's where the conversation in Canada needs to go to next. I think as a, as a culture, we've done a good job of breaching the subject of mental health. But, um, you know, if I have a, if I have a physical ailment, no one's going to think twice about going to a doctor. Certainly no one's going to criticize or judge you for going to a doctor. We have to get to that place with mental health. Um, where there is, there is no more stigma for doing that. I think that tools, um, you know, like e-mental health services that uh, are part of employee assistance programs today are, are really helpful in that because it's, it's private. No one has to know that I'm going to a psychologist. No one has to, I can use that service at any time. So that's helpful. Um, the stigma is, is, uh, real. It's probably more real among men than it is among women. Not to, I don't, I don't want to generalize that, but in my experience, uh, in leadership and working with colleagues, like I would say that, men men want to tough through things uh, more and then that's uh, so it takes other men to to say hey like it's okay it really you need to, to go talk to somebody and and i've seen i've seen in in the startup community and and among among other business leaders there is like hey like it's just a part of the regular tune-up to go to a, a psychologist to go to a counselor and talk so um yeah it, it was mostly just out of desperation. And then for me, getting, getting out of burnout. Um, I, I definitely think, um, you know, when you talk about resiliency, what is resiliency? Resiliency for me is this, in, and it, there's a established internal system, um, that, uh, can adjust to, to things in your environment and, and help you move forward and so building that and making sure that system is healthy uh self-care and self-care for me at least is not video games it's not even taking a nap like self-care really like what so being outdoors um making sure that i get physical exercise which is really really hard january through march um and uh so making sure that that system is in place and it's healthy for me getting out of it meant a, a career change. It did. Um, certainly it wouldn't advocate for that being the plan a, um, but it, it's what it took for me to, to get out of that cycle. What's over the next steps? So you got, you got out of, you got out of that and where'd you go from there? I ended up uh, as a marketing manager um, for an oil and gas company. And that, that was kind of out of left field for me. Um, but I, I just out of relationships got the job and, um, it was probably the first time where I was like, wow, this is not pushing sand up a hill. This is, I'm, I'm good at this. Like I can do this. And, um, 
even it, certainly hard, certainly challenging, certainly stressful, but at least, but it was like, it was at least in the realm of possible. I could do this job and, and, um, and do it well. And then from, from that, we, I, we started a business development firm, uh, was my second true startup, um, with a group of friends. And then, um, that uh, COVID kind of killed that <laughs> off, and uh, but Holometrics, um, we started Holometrics in September of 2019, and and have been going strong since. So, so can you provide us like a quick two liner on? So, what is Holometrics? What does it do? Yeah, so we make it really simple and easy for leaders to assess and improve their employee experience in real time. Um, and I think the undergirding of that is we make it uh, certainly in, in light of COVID and lots of teams going remote and becoming distributed, we make it easier for leaders to really know how their team is doing in real time. You know, when they don't have a lunchroom, when they don't have a water cooler to get that pulse, um, we can, we can provide that to them very easily. Right. And this is, this is rooted. So even though you found it in 2019, this is rooted in peak burnout time for you. Right. I think you mentioned before when you were seeing a counselor that, um, you the question you asked was around can this device help me or can you help me understand and predict that this was going to happen to some extent yeah so the first uh like metrics um i will always say started in september of 2019 when we like actually started building the product but i i had um spent i started it like in in winnipeg in november of 2016 i had built a prototype on wordpress um, and, and, and went from all the way to like Winnipeg, Calgary, Moncton with Canadian youth workers conference, uh, Vancouver. So we literally went from the East coast to the West coast with this crappy, crappy app, um, that I thought we could at least sell enough subscriptions of to like pay our way across the country. We didn't sell a single app. Um, it was based on surveys. And so you take surveys and we, we could then identify trends and patterns in your in your in your whole health which is like where whole metrics comes from we spell it weird just for brand purposes but um you know mental emotional relational health physical health and being able to identify those patterns which is ex- when we figured out that people hate taking surveys so uh our usage was great for the first 10 days and then would plummet after 10 days of someone using the platform because it was just you didn't get anything from it you just took surveys all day long and um and so whole metrics today doesn't require any surveys um, we, we do a little, uh, training of our machine learning using some pulse questions in the first, uh, three months of a, of a team using it. But after that, um, there's no surveys required and, um, just being able to get that sense of that. So that there is a full, you know, honestly, six year now going on. Yeah. We're over, over six years of just talking to hundreds and hundreds of people across the country about their experiences and what what they would find valuable and where and how we can actually make a difference. And part of that's been a heartbreaking journey because a lot of it has been working with, with people that didn't, don't, don't see it, don't see the need, right? Like um, we don't, we don't, uh, don't think we have a problem here. Uh, we don't, uh, don't see the value in, in understanding our employees experience. And so it was, um, you know, obviously starting with youth workers and it's like, well, just not nonprofits function differently and think differently about, about that problem. And I think that was 
a big wake up call for the, from the organization I was working with is like, we don't, we're sending people into the front lines. You know, I, I would have students ending, you know, dying by suicide on an annual basis. Um, and, and, you know, and in the last year being there, it was one of my, my leaders that, that did. And so, um, we're sending people into the front lines of, of a really chaotic, emotionally challenging situation without anything with, you know, with a Swiss army knife and, and good luck. Um, not really knowing how our people are doing in certainly in real time. Um, and then not really having the support. It's like, I, I would pay for the counseling and the, and the therapy out of my own pocket. Um, and so it, it was just like, we are not providing that. We, as an organization, we don't have that culture. This is not what, and so it is like, how do we build healthy life-giving places to work? Um, and so that's, that's kind of who we, we work with today is companies who are already on that journey. And they also have this culture of continual improvement that we, we will continually improve continually. And, and there's, so we're open to new innovative solutions because we, we've never, we never arrive at, at truly at being a healthy life-giving workplace. We can always do better. Are you finding that there are more or less organizations nowadays that understand the importance of taking care of the, their employees and being aware of their needs? It's certainly more. Um, and to differing degrees, like we always kind of explain it as a Venn diagram where there's the conversation about employee experience and the conversation about operational outcomes. Um, and those, you know, depending on the organization, those two circles are, are either farther apart or closer together. Um, certainly on the whole COVID has, has really like that made, that became abundantly clear that there is a direct correlation between our employees' experience and our operational outcomes, and we have to fix it fast. And so companies that were, were had those two conversations farther apart were a little bit more, you know, uh, it was their knee-jerk reaction to, to, to bring those conversations together in probably a more, you know, abrupt way. And then other companies who were already doing it had a smoother transition into that it's like yeah we already knew that and uh, now it's just about implementing systems to to facilitate you know more remote workspaces so um yeah i think that there is a a darwinian economic effect and i do i do think that companies would uh, over time that is a competitive advantage like you will do you will perform better as a company if you can if you can really truly bring those two conversations completely aligned with one another that that human human experience equals operational outcome so in what aspects because i know that you guys at home metrics you track certain things specifically in order to measure that employee experience and how they're doing what are some of the things you look at and why are they important to measure in order to determine whether that there are going to be positive organizational outcomes yeah, so we, we look at pretty much the entire employee experience through a digital lens, which you can do in 2021 that you couldn't have done really fully 10 years ago. Um, you know, once, once we really understood that no one likes taking surveys, um, we, we have to figure out how else we do it. So 
that that's kind of just like means to an end. Um, the whole uh, what we do with with um, what we what we look at and what we track. Um, but we we look at you know organizational network analysis. We look at how how people are are connecting and communicating. We look a lot at internal communication, understanding tone and sentiment in internal communication. And and we we do keep it really simple. Like sometimes I think we just keep it too simple, but I most of our customers disagree that it was that it's it's not too simple. Um, but we you know we look at uh, social capital and someone's ability to impact their workspace. We look at leadership and and we we score leadership based on role clarity, role predictability, response times, um, and. And especially in, in during COVID, um, when things change rapidly, um, especially like they things things got bad really quick. Like, okay, we're going home today, and that that no one no one saw that coming, and that had a drastic effect on role predictability and and uh, role clarity. Um, as as all of a sudden, I'm working from home and. And I have like the, I have, there's a social impact because my family's also working from home. My kids are at home. I'm at home. I've never worked remotely before. I don't know how to be as productive working from home as I am from the office. And it took weeks and weeks, months for, for us to learn how to work remotely well. And, and then, and um, so I think that there will be as, as people transition back to the office, we're going to have to go through that again because you're going to have to learn how to work from an office again if that is the case and a lot of companies are just saying hey you can work work forever so we look at um we look at email we look at calendar we look at chat in microsoft like most of our customers are on microsoft but we also offer a solution for google or slack users um and everything everything that we do is completely anonymous it's completely private confidential the first thing we do is anonymize everything uh, and we don't store or collect any sensitive data. That's all done on the customer's side, and we're just we're scoring things, and we store we store that metadata that those scoring um, on our server. That's the only thing that comes across. So um, it it's a that became the next challenge. Okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna use surveys. What are we gonna do? Uh, okay, well we can analyze data to get there. Okay, how are employees gonna feel about that? Uh, certainly, employers were were terrified that what that the implications of that were, and so we've uh, taken a lot of time and 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 done done everything that we possibly can to ensure that that it's completely private, that um, our data is secure, and it's it's really going back to the heartbeat of the tool. The heartbeat of the tool isn't to say, okay, well, Rui's burnt out and uh, he's you know time for a change in that department, so. Um, we're going to let you go because your whole metric scores are, are really low. That's not at all what we do. Uh, we provide leaders with a high level assessment of how their entire organization is doing so they can make the cultural changes needed to make it a healthy life-giving place to work. You, you will never see information on an individual or even a, an identifiable group of people. Um, it's always about the, the department, the, the team, the you know that demographic, what's happening, um, and as soon as as soon as that data set gets below ten people, it gets turned off. So we don't show any of that. So um, that we we look at at internal communication and and the organizational network assessment, and then provide a score about the whole thing, not not about individuals. 
And what are the scores? So, so burnout is one. Are there other things that you look at that you that you found that are important for organizations to keep an eye on? Yeah. So we like burnout is it's a burnout risk. Your risk of burnout um, is is what we look at. We look at workload and and help um, gain a sense of how much work people are actually doing. Um, and so that that can be uh, you know based department on department that can be uh, utilized or or um, you know, you can work, you find out synergies that you can help alleviate workload with. Uh, we look, uh, we have our own version of uh, employee net promoter score uh, called uh, employee satisfaction score. So we help just answer that question of like, are your employees happy? Would they recommend working here? We, do, we can do that with data instead of a survey. Uh, we look at social capital, leadership. Um, we look at um, just the overall engagement and, and, um, yeah, so those we we were at we used to look at thirty five different factors, and that just was really overwhelming for our customers. Uh, we thought it was like, oh, look, it's complex, it's complicated. That must mean it's valuable. And our customers were like, no, it just scares us. It's, it's just like that just looks overwhelming. Like, um, give us give us the five things that we need to know today, and that's so that's what we've done. And how do you find that it gets utilized? So when you're going through working with your customers to get this data, like what, what do you, what are some examples of things that they can, they, they implement as a result of the findings through the platform? Yeah. I mean, probably one of the coolest examples, one of our first customers actually built out a reading room um, based on, on our, based on using home metrics. And it, it created a conversation really. It created a conversation in the company about, about their employee experience. And um, we heard like from one, one of their employees, um, as we were just trying to gain, gain some feedback on, on some changes we were going to make um, because we knew that we needed to train our machine learning. And so we needed to ask some pulse questions and we're terrified of, of using any sort of survey when we're very blunt and saying we don't use surveys and what would you think about this? Um, and they're like, Oh, I think that'd be awesome. Like, Oh really? It's like, yeah, like our company doesn't, I've never been asked about how, what my experience is like in, in, working here. Never been asked that before. So the fact they're asking that is huge. And so um, there is just like, without even giving the results, it, just the fact that they started using whole metrics, it, it was, uh, it made a, a, an impact on their team just to create a conversation and just to say, Hey, we, we do care and we're investing in this, in the, in making this a better workplace. And, and here's an example of how we're doing that. Um, certainly that's uh, the biggest one I can, I can think of. Um, yeah, I, I, and we, we don't always hear the tangible stories. I know that, um, yeah, we, we, uh, it's one of the things it's done is made it easier for companies to make decisions about going back to the office space. Right. Um, and, and, it, and it's made it easier to understand the what happens in that so and you can you can basically split test different parts of your company so you can bring back a department to the office and see how that affects just that department and then before making those bigger decisions so one of the ways home metrics has helped as um as different restrictions are lifted in different different parts of the country um is uh, help them help companies really create an action plan that's trackable as far as a, a go back to work strategy and, and, and to help them see that, okay, 
working remote, we can manage the remote work because now we know how they're doing, right? I, I think that a lot of leaders just really, and it's a skill set. Managing remote workers is a skill set, and it takes time to develop. So it's like, ah, I was. It's a lot easier to manage people that I can talk to and go and and see face to face. But if we can help them understand their employee experience for our, our remote teams and how engaged they are and and how they're they're connected into the workplace, that gives them peace of mind. So, yeah. So one of the one of the things I find interesting about this approach is the um, sort of that <clears throat> autopilot view of how things are going. And I, I have my own perspective on surveys, um, which I think we've talked about in the past, around how it does require people to take the time out of their day to submit some sort of sentiment or review, whether it's like through a pulse survey or an engagement survey, whatever that might be. But they're also point in time right? So they expire, sentiment changes. And there are a lot of dimensions around how that score is, um, or sorry, a lot of factors behind the input that then transforms into a score. Meaning, because it's point in time, there are factors like, did something happen in my personal life that's affecting my professional life? Um, And would my score maybe a week ago be completely different than the week of where I took that specific survey, where my attitude, my demeanor, my approach to this would have been very different, right? So the point in time component of that to me with regards to surveys has always been relatively limited. The advantage to something like whole metrics or any other form of tool that provides this like real-time view is that it gives you a more accurate perspective uh, and direction on how the company's feeling and employees at the company are feeling. But the one thing that comes up that we also talked about and you alluded to and you spoke to it a little bit earlier were the privacy concerns around um, the data that's used, where it's used, where it's stored, uh, who has access to it, what is identifiable, not identifiable, all that sort of stuff like that. And, and I know that you get asked this question every single day around, okay, so what does it mean that you're, you're looking at employee communication? Can you elaborate a little bit more on sort of that methodology behind what that is and the sort of the anonymization, the security, the safety of user data? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's always two sides to a conversation with privacy. There's the optics side and then there's the legal side of it, right? So from a legislative view, um, all the and I, employees should know this, that that everything that they like your company owns every email that you send on your company domain. Um, not only do they own that, but they have it. They can, they can look at that at any time. Um, they're the, you know, your Microsoft teams chat calendar. So everything we look at is data that's owned by the company. So we're not, you know, to say that we're looking at the private information of it, of employees. We're actually not, we're looking at the data that is owned by the employer. And um, and so that's an important distinction to make on the on the legal side. From the optics side, it doesn't really matter what's legal and what's not. If there's a if a customer is not comfortable do, uh, using whole metrics, it doesn't really matter um, if we are if we're above board legally or not. Um, and so what we've done, I mean, you think about it, like every time, think about there being a big box 
in your office. And every time you send an email and every time you have a chat and every time that you have a meeting, uh, print off that email, print off that chat, print off the calendar invite and put it in that box. And over time, that box is jam packed with all of that information. Now, every question that you have about your business, your employees' experiences, how your employees are doing, risk of burnout, risk of turnover, risk of absenteeism, you know, long and short-term disability due to mental health concerns, the risk of uh, disengagement, the costs, what it costs you as an employer uh, for disengagement, which is typically three times that of the cost of absenteeism. Um, all of the answers to those questions are in that box. Um, and the box is now sitting on your desk. And so then it's like, do you look in the box? And how, what are your employees going to think about looking you looking in that box? And we certainly have had customers. We've had, it was one, one customer that are, it, they're not a customer. There was a sales meeting and they're like, it's not so much that we collect the data. It's that you're looking at it. That's the problem. Uh, which frankly to me was like just an, a completely absurd comment. <laughs> I get it. Totally get it. But it's like, right. Okay. Um, and that's just my, my personality. And, and there's listeners who would think I'm a complete jerk for not seeing the validity of that point. But um, yeah. And so do you look in the box? And so for at home metrics, the question is, okay, how do we safely look in that box? How do we, you know, do we do it? Do we take the box out into the staff room and open it in front of everyone so that everybody can see, and then there's no secrets or surprises. Do we, you know, and, and so for us, we, we truncate all of the sensitive information, truncate name, truncate um, the names of everybody um, and, and any identifying information. So it's just like in the spy movies where are those CIA documents are, are all have the black marker over all the, the top secret information. That's basically what we're doing at a digital level, right? So we just anonymize everything. Um, and then we aggregate it. So we mash it all together into a big ball so that you can't tell that it's one person's information or another person's information. This is what's true of, of the entire organization. Um, and we're, we're fully transparent. So when a company onboards onto whole metrics, um, that's, we send out a welcome email to the whole team. Every employee gets an email and it's me and my marketing team talking about what whole metrics is, why we started it, what it does here. Like go to our website, check out the tool. Um, you can see the dash, like an example of the dashboard. You can see as soon as you see the tool that it's, it's not about individual privacy. It, or it's not about individuals information. It's not about what one person is or is not doing. It's what's true of everybody. And that's culture, right? That's culture. And so we, we influence culture and we have empowered leaders to influence their workplace cultures um, by doing that. And do so do employees get access to the same data that uh, let's say the HR team has access to? Yeah. So what we, um, the HR team, so there's different levels. So there's four different levels uh, employees will get sent an email once a month with an employee dashboard, which is just like, here's some high level trends and patterns that we're seeing in the organization. Management um, get a different dashboard that is just for their department and can give them, empower them to make changes in their departments based on location or 
or, or, or department. Um, the exec executive level dashboard is really high level because most executives have about 30 seconds a day where they're just like, okay, our home metric score is 72 today. Awesome. Like I'm happy with that. Um, and then our HR, uh, we, what we call our HR dashboard really goes in. It provides full diagnostics on looking at the data in different, different ways. Um, and then break, being able to break that down into demographics, as long as the, as long as the data set does not go below 10 people, they can break that data down in, into different ways so that they can best understand how to, how to make, make change in, in that cultural environment. So that's, that's helpful. And then one of the things is, as you were talking, I was thinking about a little bit, because earlier you mentioned that. There are some organizations that aren't very fond of the idea or at least believe in the idea and believe in the idea of improving workplace wellness or the fact that they're probably doing enough as it is and they don't really need to be doing much more or they don't need to be predictive. They can be reactive to what the customer, what their employees need rather. Um, so the putting my marketing lens on being a marketer, obviously I need to ask some certain questions and how do you trans, how do you turn these skeptics into um, non-skeptics and help them understand that it's super important to um, adopt technologies that inform the decisions you make in the organization where you're proactively looking out for the well-being of your employees, which in turn will translate into business growth. Like it's not, there's no more guesswork around that, right? Like now it's, I think it's pretty clear that there's a direct correlation between employee well-being and employee performance, right? And the better an employee performs, the better the business performs. Yeah. And being able to predict that, right? So uh, I think that's, we, we always thought that if like surveyless employee engagement was the holy grail, that was the nut we were going to crack. And we got there and we're like, oh, this is actually just a doorway. Because something something changes when you go from assessing employee experience annually or quarterly with a survey to daily. Um, you then can actually begin to predict operational outcomes and then make an impact predictively. And that that is actually the value that we're just beginning to understand. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, for any any uh, any startup entrepreneur out there market education is probably the most expensive thing that you can try and undertake so uh we we skeptics like we we just can't we can't afford the market education to convert a skeptic uh, we convert them by going to work for their competitor who doesn't need to be converted um and then once they see the value that we're providing their competitor then they they get on board but uh which is not, you know, that's just the way it goes, but that's a, that's a, that's a fair business decision. Clearly, right. You don't want to go in and try to change people's minds because you're not going to, but I think just to leave a little message for those that probably are not for never going to listen to this podcast episode, because they're not thinking about increasing and improving employee well-being. But one thing to think about is that even, so here's, here's at least what I, th how I think about why at least some of some folks don't want to adopt these practices or technologies is that they're concerned around the exposure that it'll generate, right? They're concerned that it'll, you know, it'll come out that maybe they, their culture isn't as good as they're making it out to seem that working there probably isn't as exciting as, as they're making it out to seem. And the optics will drastically change once the veil is lifted. Right. But if you put that aside and you think about what it means for your organization 
to invest in the tools and the technologies and the processes and the services to take the next step in improving a culture that every, everybody's already talking about it. If your culture sucks, a survey or a tool isn't going to tell people what they already know or what they don't know. They already know this. So by having this, what you're doing is you're actually put, you're, 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 you're putting your foot down or, or planting your flag and you're saying, hey, look, I see we have an issue or we have a problem or we might have a problem. We're willing to make sure that we address it. We're investing in it to make sure that our company develops into a much more productive and a, a cult, has a culture of well-being that cares about its employees. Is it going to hurt in the short term? Yes. Is there going to be some stuff that's going to be visible that we probably is going to hurt our ego quite a bit and make us embarrassed or provide us with some sense of guilt? Yes. But that stuff fades. The, the motivation and the movement towards addressing these things is what people are going to start to look at after the fact. They're going to see that you're investing in it and you take it seriously. And the moment you take and you build the momentum in that direction is when your employees start to take your organization more seriously. And then they start to see your organization as a place where they want to work for, not in the immediate future, but in the long term, because they don't want to leave an organization that truly cares about the employees that they have. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just, I think about Jim Collins and good to great and the Stockdale paradox of, you know, the first step is to face the brutal facts. So um, if you, if you're a leader, great leaders care about their employee experience. I mean, I, I that's fairly universal at this point. Um, and and the first step is facing the brutal facts. What what's out there? And I think, I mean, <clears throat> for us, the, the question was: okay, what what resources of abundance that we can utilize to create value? Uh, with Airbnb, it was air mattresses and spare bedrooms. With Uber, it was cars. For us, it's it's organizational data. The vast majority of companies have oodles and oodles of data that they 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 own, that they collect, that they store, they pay to store, and don't do a single thing with. So let's take all of that and put it to use and actually impact your business in a significant way. Uh, we had a meeting um, with a with a leadership team last week, and he made the analogy of security cameras and how when they installed security cameras on their buildings, there was privacy concerns. Everyone, there was there was there was a legitimate concern about hey now you're monitoring me, and it's like oh that sounds like people's initial knee jerk reaction to whole metrics sometimes. And then he's like, and they got over it. <laughs> no one, no one thinks twice about security cameras today. And I think that same thing will happen with with organizational data. And that's not a conversation with whole metrics. That's just the future of of human capital management. Is large organizations, successful organizations, the organizations that SMEs look up to, have already understood that that they had they. they they have data at their disposal that can be turned and converted into something incredibly powerful that transforms their business. They're already doing it. So it's, you know, it's time to, to catch up. Uh, it's a competitive advantage. Um, so if your competitor is using data to positively impact their operational performance, it's not too long before they start eating up market share based on that tool that they have that you don't. So. Yeah. I'm on the same belief on the same boat, the, the, the value propositions uh, that are going to matter and the data is already out and people are talking about it and there's enough research to support it. If people are feeling cared about, 
by their employer, they will stay. If they do not, they will leave and find somewhere where they are. And it's very straightforward. Morneau, Morneau Chappelle at the beginning of 2020, before COVID, um, came out with research that indicated 60% of employees would take a pay cut to work somewhere um, that cared more about their personal well-being, with mental health being the most important factor. Uh, and we change that. We just tweak it a little bit and say 60% of your employees would be willing to take to work for your competitor um, if they just cared more about their personal well-being. Um, so it is it is a, a massive, massive uh, competitive advantage. It's a business decision. It's it's uh, not only a social decision, but it's it is a it's a business decision. Um, you're sitting on it. You're sitting on a gold mine of 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 data that that you own you and that you can tap into for different reasons, not just employee engagement, but lots of different things that you can do with that. Um, and it's really up to you whether you want to take advantage of that or not. Chad, where can people find you? Where the where can they learn more about Whole Metrics? Uh, wholemetrics.com. So H O L M E T R I C S.com. Um, and, um, yeah. And so we, we're going to be at collision conference coming up, uh, next month already. Yeah. April. And, um, so if you're, if you're at collision conference, we'd love to sit down and chat more about it. Um, and then, uh, we're always open up for a, for a virtual coffee to discuss and talk about anything. So wholemetrics.com and, and our contact information is there. Awesome, man. I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate the story, the, uh, the authenticity behind, you know, your experience with burnout. I think that's really important. That's something that I, you know, I hope to, to talk to everybody about is that everybody struggles in one way or another or has struggled in one way or another. Um, and the more that we talk about it, the normal, the more that we normalize it and explain to people that this, this happens everywhere to everybody. Right. And we need to make sure that, um, we're there to support each other and understand that we're only going to be able to grow and be able to uh, address these issues if we do provide that support. Uh, and if we are open to doing that, whether it's normalizing seeing a therapist or a counselor, or it's just taking a coffee and having a conversation about some stuff you've been going through. And addition, in addition to that, yeah, man, like the stuff that you guys are doing with Whole Metrics is awesome. I think it looks really cool. Um, I think it's definitely the the next phase of um, human capital management and identifying where to really invest time and resources to take care of your employees. So I'm looking forward to what you guys are going to be doing over the next little while. Um, and again, thanks a lot for hopping on, man. Thank you very much, Rui. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find all of the references made in the episode in the show notes. If you're a fan of the show and enjoyed the episode, don't forget to like and share if you're listening on social media. Or subscribe if you're on YouTube or your preferred podcast platform. I love to hear feedback, so don't hesitate to reach out if you have any suggestions for the show or questions. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter under the handle I am Rui Nunes. Until next time, keep growing.